Good morning and welcome to Hochma and Coffee Live. I am excited to see you guys this bright and early morning. I know it's a lot earlier than it has been recently, but I'm definitely glad to see each of you. And this morning, we're going to be jumping into Revelation 2. And the crazy thing is we're going to see that we could be doing everything right by the world standards and even by Christian standards. We can be serving God and even for Jesus' name, but if we're missing this one vital thing, the Bible says that Jesus will remove our church authority. He won't even count us as a true church of his. Very important, very intriguing, and you've got to stick with us. We're going to be diving straight into the Bible, giving you exactly what Revelation 2 means. But before we get into that, I want to bring on my brother, Jonah. And so, Jonah, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Good. Oh, good. good. I'm going to hopefully not make too much noise when I lift this thing up. Uh, <laughs> but it's good to see you this bright and early morning. How has uh, the return to school been? It's been good. Um, it was already busy the last couple of weeks, but it's just a different busy now. Um, stayed up uh, late, not late, but stayed up working on some pre-calculus. So there's just a different kind of yeah. busy, but it's been good. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Last semester of the year. And it's just amazing how fast time just keeps on going and going and going. But it's yeah. good to have you on with us today. Now, we're going to be jumping into Revelation 2 in a second, and it's going to be it's going to be delicious. But before we get into that, let's actually go over to our our, I guess, things we do right before. I don't know. What we, our ad break, I guess. If you'd like a free Hochmein coffee background, you can get that down below and uh, put that on your phone. As well as we've got the mug available on the shop. You can go and pick up your own cool mug and join the cool mug club. That's that's down there. Uh, that's actually already passed. Uh, but if you, I, I emailed you. If you have not emailed me back yet about winning, make sure you do. I do want to say thank you to our Everything Church Pro supporters. We got Judy Murphy, Gary Pence. We got Maggie Diaz, Kathy Earnhardt, and Cindy Erickson. And now we even have more supporters. And they're actually a part of our Everything Church Pro University, which we're going to talk about in a second, but they, they jumped in. We're about to launch Old Testament Survey this Monday, and these are the people who are now our supporters. We've got Jeremy Hughes, Brian Ramdan, and if I say your name wrong, I apologize. Uh, Judy Murphy again on here. Jonathan Day, Eric Nuno, uh, Michelle Bailey Lindsay. Uh, we've got Tim Walker, Bradley Roberts, Jonah Smith's on here. What are you doing on there? <laughs> we got Derek. Okay, now this one's going to be hard. You, how do you think you pronounce this? Could your, Derek, Derek K, Derek K is on here. Pamela Nelson, Nancy Heady. That's a test version of myself. Uh, Andrew Ship and Molly Brown. I just want to say a huge thank you to all of you guys as well for joining into the university, helping support the church and help us make a university that is the most inexpensive Bible training on the face of the planet. And so we have here the information you could join at $4.99 a month, help support the vision, help us make kids content in the future and all the rest. And if we, I did the math. It would take like 260 something years for you to ever pay for one year of Bible college if you did the $4.99 plan for like the rest of your life, 260 something years. And so it's the most affordable plan to get a deep Bible study. And so hopefully if you're interested or maybe you just want to help the channel out, that would be a great blessing. But without further ado, are you ready to jump into Revelation? <laughs> ready or not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, jumping into Revelation 2. So let's just look at this first section. And before we jump in, uh, we have already read that Jesus held the seven candles or seven stars in his right hand. And he's in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And he's about to write letters to each of these seven churches. And so, uh, Jonah, uh, I think, oh, I don't know what your face was over there, but I do think, uh, is there anything we need to say before we jump into the, the seven churches letters? Do you think to give people a background or do you think, do you think we're ready to jump right in? Uh, I think we're ready. Uh, chapter one, uh, if they want a little bit of background, um, we did an amazing YouTube 
Hokemon Coffee last Friday. <laughs> they can go watch. Don't click off of this one yet, though. But uh, after this one, go watch. There's a there is a, quite a bit of uh, like you like to say juicy nuggets in that oh, yeah. first chapter. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe just to get us going into it, uh, we ended chapter one with the seven stars and the seven yeah. candlesticks and the seven uh, angels and all that. And so we have these. Uh, candlesticks the churches we have the angels which are the pastors of the churches and so uh, as we start to go through these next couple chapters uh, we see unto the angel of the church of Ephesus just remember that's the pastor uh, of that church of Ephesus yeah which is interesting because I know right now there's a fad of every church has to have a plurality of elders which is not a negative thing if it's set up right uh, it yeah. needs to be set up right, not where it's what we'd see, like the Nicolaitans. Uh, but here, I, I had someone ask me recently, well, where is there ever in the church or ever in the Bible just one pastor? And it looks like here, unto the angel of the church, unto the angel, there's one shepherd on each of these churches. So we've got to be gracious to each other as we continually move in through this section. That's just a, a bonus. But let's jump right into Revelation 2. Here he goes. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear with them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars and has borne, and has had patience, and for my name's sake has labored. That's huge. For my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, whence, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so that's to the first church. We're going to try to at least get through two churches here, and maybe three churches this morning. But as we, oh, I've just opened up the sermon manager here. But as we get into uh, this first section, let me look and draw on screen. There we go. As we look here, I want us to look at the introduction. I do believe that each introduction is very key. Jesus introduces himself differently to each church for a different reason. And so we begin, remember, this is Jesus talking. It, it was even for us yesterday when I was reading through this, it was kind of like even a mind bomb when we were studying it, realizing again, these are Jesus words. These are not John's words. This is not the angel's words. This is Jesus again speaking. And he says, uh, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And that's the setup. And I, I believe he's saying, hey guys, I'm the one upholding you right now. I'm the one who's keeping you up right now, and I'm the one uh, who's in the midst of each church, each individual church that's there. I'm in the midst of all of you guys. I'm beholding what's going on, and we're going to see him actually talk about that as we jump into verses 2 and on. As he says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, how thou canst not bear with them that are evil, or which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and has had patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. And so that's a crazy section. I want you to jump into that first, and then we'll, we'll keep on moving forward. What are your thoughts on his initial, uh, I guess, thoughts or, or judgment of this church? Yeah, this is something you like to hear from any kind of authority in life. Uh, he's giving them commendation and saying, hey, I know your works. You, you are doing all the right things, your labor, your patience. You can't bear them which are evil. Uh, thou hast tried them, let the, say their apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Yeah. You've born in half page. I mean, he's just saying all these good things. You're doing, that's the word, you're doing all the right things. And before we get into those next several verses, I just do want to point out, it is very good to do good. It's yeah. not 
because you can go on both ends of the spectrum. We're going to see one end of the spectrum in the next couple of verses. But there are some Christians who will say, see, it's not really about our works. God knows my heart. Well, God yeah. may know your heart, but man, I love, I didn't ever put this together until uh, Dr. Shetler said this, one of our uh, teachers in college, uh, he used it as a modesty kind of example when he uses the application of uh, David being anointed. And he's, he's like, this, how is this going to be the king? And God says, don't, I know David doesn't look like you would think a king should look. Man looketh on the outward appearance, God looketh on the heart. And so a lot of people, they say, see, God sees the heart. It's not what we, it doesn't matter what we look like. Well, man looks on the outward though. And we have work. God calls these churches candlesticks and he calls these pastors, angels and stars. We got to be a proper representation to the world of what God is. And so these, this church is doing the right thing. And that is a good thing. But as we are going to see, it's not the end all be all. It's that's not what it's all about. Well, yeah, no, it's true that they are doing a lot. And and so from, from my mind, I'm looking at this, this is, this is the hip church in town. This is the church that you went to Ephesus. You wanted to come here. You wanted to see what was going on uh, because they were known for their labor. They were known for how they endured. They were known for like doctrinal purity. Cause you see in this text, mm -hmm. it's very clear. They're doctrinally pure. He's like, the these fake apostles show up. They say they're apostles. You try them by the word, and you're like, yeah, uh, no, you're not. And you you reject them. And I, and I love this. He says also about the Nicolaitans, which we're going to get to in a little bit, that their doctrine is pure there as well. Also, it says it was for Jesus' name that they labored. I mean, I have that highlighted in yellow, which which is amazing to me. They weren't just laboring for themselves. They were laboring for Christ. Like, that's crazy. <clears throat> they were laboring for Christ's name. And that sounds like a lot of churches around here. Uh, well, hopefully a lot of good churches that are working hard for the Savior. They're out there door knocking. They're out there uh, uh, preaching the gospel. They're staying doctrinally pure and not trying to be the coolest church in town while sacrificing uh, their their stance with, with God and with Christ. They're doing it for Christ's name. Like when they meet together, it's not for their own glory. They're doing it for his name. We're doing this for his name, except, except we get into verse number four. This is where it's like, how, how does this work? They're doing it for his name. They're working hard and yet they have left their first love. And, and this is so serious that he says, I will remove thy candlestick out of its place. Meaning this is, this is huge. We're going to get to the first love in a second, but let's look at the consequence. If they don't fix whatever leaving their first love is, Jesus says, he will not count them as a as one of his churches. And, and so again, this is we're talking about a local church here. So that means that if this local church does not do what Christ wants it to do, it can still have church on the doorpost. It can still have church over uh, on the big sign on the street. And they can still meet together and they can still worship together and still act like a church and still think they're a church. But by all intents and purposes, Jesus will say, you're not one of mine. You're not my church because you are not doing verse number four. You've left your first love. And, and so this is very key for us to realize that not every place that says they're a church is a church. And again, not every believer is part of the church. This is this. I mean, if, if, a, if a local church can have their candlestick removed, those people did not all of a sudden become lost people. I mean, am, am I making this up? Does that seem like too far of a stretch? I don't believe so. No. Okay. And I know it might not be what some people want to hear because uh, this is, this is something that uh, a lot of us have is something like confirmation bias, where if someone says something that goes against what we think, it's immediate. Like, I don't want to hear him. Like, turn them off, turn them off, turn them off. I don't want what I'm thinking to be challenged, but I'd encourage you. I'm not mad at you. And I hope you're not mad at me. We just got to talk about what's going on here. If the universal church is true and every believer immediately when they're saved is added to the church. Well, then what's going on here? Either this entire church is saved and then they lose all collectively immediately their salvation together. Or this is saying that this local church, if they don't act according to what God wants them to act, they're still believers and they're still gathering and they're still functioning together. But for all intents and purposes, they're not Jesus's church. They're not Jesus's church. And so I, I, I'm going to leave it there. What do you want to comment on that before we get to first love? Is there anything 
that comes to your mind? Um, I don't believe so. No. All right, so let's jump into first love then. What in the world is thy first love? Well, I'm going to let you jump into first love. What do you think is going on here? Because this is huge. I mean, this is so big that he says you can be doing everything right that the world looks at you and says, this, you are a fantastic church. Like anybody could come in and say, this is, this is the church. This is the church. Yet when Jesus looks, he says, no, you guys have left your first love. And because of that, if you don't repent and do the first works, I'm I'm kicking you guys out. You guys aren't going to be one of my churches. What what would you think about that? Yeah, uh, when you take it at first glance, I mean, I still I, I do believe there's lots of ways we can take it because uh, he doesn't necessarily the the only kind of specificity it has is first love. What well love, but first love, and so one of the first things that has come to mind is since we're doing old testament survey um which again if you're not part of the university go join in don't drink coffee for one day a month and you can afford it uh but uh, we just did uh i believe it was deuteronomy and well it's not on the university yet you say what where's deuteronomy we recorded it uh but the shema yeah hear and love yeah. Hear and love, obey and love. And we would see Jesus say the first commandment yeah. is to love God with everything, with all your being, all your heart, soul, strength, mind. Uh, and then second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And so it looks like, um, I mean, even Romans chapter 13, all of the prophets, all of the Bible hangs all of the commandments, the law hangs on one thing and that's love. And yeah. this is what it seems like they're missing. You're doing all the right things, but you have left your first love. Everything that is core about Christ, you've, you've left. And that's very indicting to them. No, it's huge. And so the, the first commandment is love. And I do agree with you that that's, that's central. We really can't do anything good without love. And so although this first list looks amazing to our minds and Christ's mind, that's nothing. And, and I think we can go to 1 Corinthians 13 mm. about that when he says, I can give my body to be burned. I can give everything I have to the poor. But if I don't have charity, it profiteth me nothing. He says, I'm just a, a banging gong or a symbol or whatever he says. Uh, he says, if I don't have charity, it's nothing. It's absolutely worthless. And I think that's what we're seeing here in if he, uh, with this church at Ephesus. They did everything, everything. And for his name, they did it, yet they did it without love. They did not do it in love. And, and so we were talking yesterday about what this could mean that they left their first love. And I have, there's two things that Either of them could be right, and I think we should take both in our hands and apply them to our lives. Um, so when we look at thy first love, we could be talking about the object of their love. So we could be saying, you left your first love. Like if I were to say that the first love of my life was Kendra Smith, who's now, well, I guess her name is Kendra Smith now. So it was, that was my first love of my life. We can think of the object of my love, and that could be what it's saying. Or it could be what was inside of them, their first love, like the first how, how would we put that? The first, the first, you know what I'm talking about. The first <laughs> love, the first time, not the first time, but their, their first actual love that got birthed in their hearts when they got saved. And I think everyone who's been saved realizes when you first got saved, when that love infused into your life, it changed you and you, you knew the love of Christ. Like it blew your brains around and that love was for God. It was for others. And it was even for the lost that love just infused them. And so I think we can take both of those the love of for Christ, they've left their love for Christ, but they've also left their love probably for each other and for the lost. The love was cold. They were, they're mechanical. They were doing everything right. And they were doing it for his name, but the, the love wasn't there anymore. And Jesus said, this is so huge because he told us in John that by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, not because you worked really hard and not because you had perfect doctrine, which these things are good. I, I hope you have good doctrine. I hope you work hard. But he says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. You have love one for another. I mean, even, even at the, the, the Last Supper when he washes their feet, he tells them again, 
do like what I've done, do as well. He says, I want you to abide in my love and abide in the Father's love. This is something so core to Christianity. And I think we should ask the question to ourselves and to our listeners, how are you doing in this area? I mean, like, I, I, like if you loved more when you first got saved than you do now, that's an issue. I think that's an issue we all should address. Have you left your first love? Or is your love growing cold? The Bible tells us that in the end times, that our love, he says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Because there's so much sin around and you don't know who you can trust, love is going to come on down. And, and, and I understand Jesus prophesied it, but it doesn't mean he's okay with it. It doesn't mean like, well, Jesus said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. That's just what's happening to me. It's just because he said it's going to happen doesn't mean it should happen in your life. And so we should, I think we should all take an assessment. How's our first love? This is so serious that if our churches don't get this right, Jesus doesn't count us as a church. He says, I'm going to remove your candlestick. The candlestick is the representation of being a light that is his. He's in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And also, I'll take your authority out. You're not one of my churches. You might still function, but you're not one of mine. Uh, anything else you want to say about this section? I think uh, not, not really, actually. I, I believe you did a good job. Man, it's a, such a big thing. And I love this word, yeah. repent. We, we don't talk about that mm -hmm. near enough in 2022. Repent. Friend, when you don't love Christ, you don't need uh, to warm up your heart. You need to repent. That's, I mean, that's, it's, that's the, you say, how do I get, how do I love Jesus again? Right there, repent. How, how? Repent. Just turn back to him. Turn away from what you've been loving. Love Jesus again. And, and if you need to, ask him for strength. Ask him for help, but repent and do mm -hmm. the first works. And so we have that. Now let's look at this. Uh, but thou, but this thou hast. He's like, I just um, ripped your face in love. I, I, I don't know if people know what that term means. I never heard that term until I got to Bible college. And all the preacher boys, they're like, rip our face, rip the face. And that's like, I guess, code for preaching intensely, uh, rebuking <laughs> and reproving. And so Jesus, he, he does, uh, I guess you could say, rip face here. He's very intense. And he tells them the truth in love. But then he goes on and he's like, but this thou hast. He's like, I just, I just told you the intensity of your sin. But, 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 but you've also got this going for you, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Wow, what, who, what is going on here? Which I also hate. God hates the deeds of these Nicolaitans. All right, so who are these Nicolaitans? And what in the world are we going on here? There's a lot, I guess, of opinions going on here. Uh, any any that you want to say first about the Nicolaitans? Um, I believe they were simply uh, a group of people who would lord over um, the lay people of the church yeah. or whatever. Um, and that's not how the church was intended to be set up or Christianity. And all I know for sure is it's a good thing to hate what God hates. That's what I love about this verse. Hey, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So yeah. like, all right. And so actually, I don't, I don't want to go on another tangent, but yeah, I believe that's the gist of what the Nicolaitans uh, were. Yeah. So this is an interesting uh, Nicolaitans. There's not much like historical data on it. And that's the hard part is... Who in the world were these Nicolaitans? I know that some believe that because of the Greek word and the way it's um, the way that it's constructed, it means like uh, people conquerors or people over ruler. I don't remember the exact the exact uh, construction, but they believe that yes, this is the sin was there were people who were lording over Christ's heritage and they were dividing the laity from the official workers of the of the church, and that's one definitely good option for this is that. There were people who were ruling the church, and that's why as Baptists we're congregational in nature and we have voting and those kinds of things. We're not this way. We don't have someone who rules over the church with like a rod of iron. But we do have here another option that some people would say uh, was these people were followers of Nicholas, which I guess they say was one of the the first, uh, what is what was it? What were they? The first uh Deacon deacons. That's what it was. The first deacons couldn't find the word and, and, and they were followers of him. And he was actually a heretic later on. I, I don't know how this all comes, but I know like Arrhenius and a lot of the early church fathers, they held to this and that he was a, a heretic who went to some form of Gnosticism. And so that these Nicolaitans would have been Gnostics. 
And, and so whichever one it is, it doesn't, we, we can't know for sure, sure, but either one is bad. And so God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans and he's thankful that we hate the deeds as well. And so to pull this out into a principle, I think for us is whatever God hates, we should hate. Mm. I mean, I think that's a good principle for us is if God hates it, so do I. And that, that's a good thing. I think in, in Hebrews, he talks about in Hebrews 1 verse 8, that Jesus loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above all thy fellows. He says, Jesus, the reason why you got the Holy Spirit more than anybody else, yes, it's because he's the son of God. But also, he says, because you loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Friends, there are things in life, if you really love God, you're going to hate. And so I think that's a, a good thing here. And so he that hath an ear, let him hear. This is going to be a key resounding note. If you have an ear, let him hear. Friends, some of us, we don't have ears to hear. <laughs> I mean, even us, we've just been talking through this so far that I bet you there's going to be people who are like, I don't like hearing this. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, but the truth is, there's going to be some who come in, they listen to this, and they realize, you know what? This is me. I need this. I need to love Christ like I used to love Christ, or, or I need to hate what Christ hates, or I need to, maybe I'm not even doing the first section. Maybe I'm not even working hard for Christ. I need to shape up. I need to get more involved in my church. I need to get out there and witness more. I need to maybe help in the nursery at my church. I've just been coasting and sitting, and I, I'm not even doing what they're doing. I mean, I got to get into the game again. He that hath an ear, that means that there are some who don't have ears to hear, but there are some that do. And for those, he says, hear what the Spirit saith unto the church is. We're able to look at what he's talking to these churches about. And he says, everybody else in the world, in the universe, throughout time and space, if you have an ear, hear what he's telling them. If you have an ear, let him uh, hear what he's telling them. Why? Because to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's huge. That's huge. I think we should all want this. Uh, and so I want you to jump into talking about this section first. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What are your thoughts? Um, I think, and I could be wrong, I don't believe it's anywhere else mentioned. And it may. So if I, if it is, you can correct me. But the last time I remember it uh, being... Uh, the tree of life being mentioned was in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. And when Adam and Eve fell, uh, God had a watch or a guard of, I believe it was cherubims. I say, hey, guard the entrance uh, of this garden. Don't let them come in because the tree of life's in here. And if they eat, they'll live forever. And we don't want that to happen because they're in sin right now. And we don't want them to live in sin forever. And so that's the last time we see it. And now we see that Jesus is speaking to this uh, church here, say, whoever overcomes, which I, I, I pretty cool. I, I think you actually have a verse which you'll, you'll probably bring up and we'll talk about uh, overcoming. Will I give to eat of the tree of life? And I was scratching my head. Why does someone who is saved need to eat the tree of the tree of life? Uh, yeah. I mean, we're already going to live forever. Um Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So what's the point of it? And as I was even just thinking, as we were rereading it, it's almost, it's, it is a symbol, I do yeah. believe, um, just what all the tree of life meant. Because what happened when Adam and Eve wasn't allowed to partake anymore, it was that separation of communion. They, yeah. they, they fell and there's, and it's almost like, everything it's the communion is totally back and reinstated yes you're saved um but now you what man was not allowed to do once you can yeah. freely eat of this tree of life now and so again that's just something that's come to mind uh, again apart from that i'm scratching my head what's the purpose of it i do know what once was forbidden to sinful man now he's saying if you overcome i'll give you to eat of the tree yeah. of life which is pretty cool no, that's, I think you're spot on. Uh, I do think there's a couple other mentions of the tree of life that mm. not like, uh, not like uh, it would have been in Genesis where it's actually here. It's not like someone mm -hmm. discovered the tree of life later on. I think that it's used in, in Proverbs as a metaphor. I don't remember mm. what it was. If it's like a tongue of, it's like a tree of life or like a wisdom. Oh. I don't remember something like it. It's like the tree of life. Um, but, but I think it's very rarely mentioned in the word. But here is the only other time, like Genesis, where it's mentioned like a real tree. 
Like it's actually here, not like a metaphor for something here. We actually see that it's in the midst of the paradise of God. Like it's in a real place right now. It's in the midst of the paradise of God. And so I think the question we had yesterday was like, what's this overcoming? And so we jumped over to 1 John 5, 4, and it says, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And so I think comparing scripture with scripture, he's not saying, if you guys love like you're supposed to love, well, then, man, then you're actually, I'll let you into to heaven. Um, I do believe that if they are actually saved, they will repent and they will do the first works and they will love. I think that's true if they're actually saved. And so I think here what we're seeing with this overcoming, I think we've got to compare scripture with scripture is this. They trust and obey God. They believe God's word. They trust him for salvation. And if they truly trust Jesus, they're going to return to their first love. They're going to repent and come back to him. And so I think whenever we see overcometh, we need to bring up that other verse that what is it that overcometh? Even our faith. This is that which overcometh the world. Even our faith. It is faith that overcomes. It is faith in Christ and in the gospel that overcomes. And so when we look at this, he's not saying, uh, if you do this, this, and this, then you can eat of the tree of life. He's saying, hey, if you if you believe the gospel and you live according to your faith, because faith without works is dead, being alone. If you actually have a faith that works, I promise you, you're gonna get you're gonna get the everlasting life. You're gonna be able to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so that's church number one, Ephesus. Uh, I, I didn't know we were gonna actually spend that much time on Ephesus, but there was so much good <laughs> stuff in there. There really was. So let's look at church number two. And before I keep going on, I, I brought up on here this, but good morning, Nikisha. Good to see you. And then good morning, Linda. Glad you guys are able to be with us this morning as we jump into Revelation 2. We're now in the second church here. And it says, unto the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead, this is key, and is alive. All right, so let's stop there before we keep going on. We talked, we talked about earlier how the way he introduces himself to each church is key. It's very important. And so I love looking at this. He says to this church in Smyrna, I'm the first and the last. I was dead and is alive. I was dead, but I am alive. Uh, I think that's going to be something that's going to be key. And if, if anybody else is watching uh, online, not listening, you'll see on here uh, that it's going to be key because all the words in purple and all the words in yellow. And so we're going to be looking at how this goes. Uh, but I, I don't even think we should comment on it yet. I think it's going to unfold why he, why he announces himself as the first and the last and which was dead and is alive. Do you agree? Yeah. Do you think we sure. should just keep moving forward? Okay, let's look at verses 9. Uh, let's read the rest, and then I'm going to let you comment on it, and then I'll comment on it. Let's read from 9 all the way down to verse 11. It says this, I know thy works. Another time where it says, I know thy works. I know thy works. And tribulation. And again, this is not talking about the great tribulation. This is talking about hard times that they're going through, the persecution they're going through, and poverty. And I love this, but thou art rich. We're going to see the inverse of this with the last church in chapter 3. He says, you guys are poor outwardly, but you're rich. You're rich, don't forget. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. We're going to talk about that in a second. They are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried and shall have tribulation 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. All right. Well, that's so good. That's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, a letter to this church. And it's something that's going to become more and more needed in America and around the world as we near the end, as persecution begins to ramp up. This is going to be one we got to have anchored in our mind. And so I want you to take it first and see some some things you see in this passage that we got to tease out. All right. I, I see. I think there's not really anything bad he has to say about this church. Mm. Uh, he knows their works and tribulation and poverty. Um, that's just like you already said, is already an encouragement. It is possible to be rich yeah. material, uh, materially, 
but poor spiritually, but yeah. it's also able to be uh, on the converse. You are able to be poor materially, but rich uh, spiritually. And so it's an encouragement here. He says, I know you're, you wish life was better. Obviously, you wish life was more comfortable. You have tribulation. You're in poverty. Well, let me let's just remind you in this parentheses, yes. you're rich. You're yes. rich. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, because remember, I've made you kings and priests, as I've talked about in chapter one. Um, and so it's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, I know the blasphemy of them, which say mm. they're Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Uh, and so not a very... Good thing that he's pointing out a pull, a group of people that he's saying, I know your works, tribulation, poverty, but I also know the blasphemy, blasphemy of certain people that say they're Jews. And I didn't see this correlation until you brought up a verse. I can't remember what verse you brought up, but In it's Romans. really, yeah, Romans, where it's saying you're not a Jew outwardly if you're circumcised or whatever. It's really the circumcision of the heart. That's when you're a Jew. And so that's pretty pretty cool and i'll let you uh, dive into that let's talk about that for a second so not a jew which is a jew outwardly but uh the circumcision of the heart i don't have it pulled up here let me uh, x out of here real fast i do believe that's in romans is that romans 3 or something like that uh let me just see i'm just gonna search it here outwardly so yeah that's romans 2 28 for he is not a jew which is one outwardly neither that Circums is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh? Let me just pull up the whole thing, uh, which is outward in the flesh. It says here, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so we have here this already established principle that uh, real Jews have the circumcision of the heart, and I don't believe that's a New Testament thing. I believe this is something that was in the Old Testament. I believe in Deuteronomy, he talks about how there's going to be the need for the circumcision of the heart. I believe also, as we get into the prophets with, with Jeremiah talking about the covenant, he's going to write on their hearts and that they need that uh, circumcision of the heart. We see in Ezekiel the need for the heart of stone to be removed and them to be given a fleshy heart. Um, and I believe that there's that, I don't know what passage it is where it talks about rend your heart and not your garments. He's wanting, he's, he's always wanted the heart. This is an Old Testament thing where he's talking about. We, what, what God truly desires from the Jews is not their, their service, although that's great. What he desires is their heart. I mean, even in Deuteronomy, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, it wasn't, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt do everything that he asks. Make sure that you keep the Sabbath. Although those are things that he asked them to do, the chief commandment was, Love the Lord your God with all your lev, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And so, friend, God wants the heart. And so I think here what he's saying is these people, whether they were, they were ethnically Jews or not, um, whatever they were, uh, they weren't. <laughs> so if they claimed to be Jews and they weren't even Jews, okay, great. Or if they claimed to be Jews, but they were not Jews of the, in the heart. And either way, the, the, Jesus is saying these people claim to be Jews and they're not. They're not. They're not. Instead, they're of the synagogue of Satan. And I believe this correlates with John when Jesus looks at the Jews and it's in John eight, when he talks about, <laughs> he's like, I do the works of my father. And like, where is your father? You know, you witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. He's like, no, I, me and my father. And like, where is he? And he says, I do the works of my father. You do the works of your father. And they were like, we be not born of fornication. And he says, like, we are born of Abraham's seed. And he's like, if you were of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham, but you don't believe me. That's not something Abraham did. He's like, instead, you do the works of your father. And he goes on to say the devil. That's, that's harsh. That's Jesus, that's Jesus there and Jesus here saying, just because you are a descendant of Abraham, doesn't mean you're a descendant of Abraham. In fact, I think that's one of the cool things about being a Christian is by faith, we're added, we're grafted into the family of Abraham. But here we have him saying whatever, whether they were ethnically Jews or not, they were lying about it because they were actually of the synagogue of Satan. They were serving the devil because we see it's blasphemy. They're blaspheming God. And so I, I think that's good enough for there. If you have questions on this, we can tease it out some more. But I think that's enough for us moving forward. What do you think? Is that, is that good enough there? For sure. All right. Well, I'm going to let you keep jumping in into verses 10 and on. 
It says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, yeah. and I'll give thee a crown of life. And so he's saying, I know you're doing well. I know you're going through hard times. I just want to give you a forewarning. You may, you're going to be cast into prison, some of yeah. you. Uh, but you don't have to fear those things. It says, fear none of those things which thou shalt uh, suffer. It, it will just be temporary. Uh, you shall have tribulation 10 days, yeah. uh, but be thou faithful unto death. And I think this is where we start to, I mean, we saw so many words and we, we kind of failed to mention you have them all uh, highlighted on the screen. Uh, but we even see it here again. Be faithful unto death. Yeah. He, he introduced himself as the one who was dead and now is alive. Mm. If you're faithful unto death, don't worry. You don't have to fear those things because I was dead once. But look at me. I'm, I'm alive right now. Yes, so if you're faithful unto death, you'll, you'll, you'll live again. You're going to live eternally yeah. uh, with me. Not because of that work of being faithful unto death, but because of the faith that you've placed in me. And that's why you are able to be faithful unto death because you knew, well, if this life is over, my eternal life, uh, with Christ is beginning. And so you don't have to fear these things because, and it just keeps going back in my mind to that parentheses. You're rich. Yeah. You're rich. Fear none of those things because get your eyes off this temporal stuff. Remember the whole uh, foundation of what you are as a believer, a Christian. Yeah. And if you guys have been journeying with us through Hebrews as well, this should bring up in our minds, Hebrews 11, that they mm. put off the current comforts for, for the hope. And that's what he's telling them is you're rich, but it's not now. It, it, though it is now, you, we, are, we are rich in Messiah. We are seated in the heavenlies in, in Christ. He's like, yeah, you're rich now, but you're also not rich now. Uh, and, mm. and so they're looking with the, for that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And he says, these types of people, the world's not even worthy of them. And so he says here, I believe the reason why they could overcome is here. They believed the gospel. They believed Jesus was dead and is alive. And I think... If Christians really believe this, our lives would be different. There's so yeah. many Christians who at one point they, they, they prayed a prayer and they're like, oh, if I pray this, I, I get to go to heaven. Yes. Sweet. I will say whatever you want me to say. I don't care what it means. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say it. And I get to go to heaven, stamp my passport. Uh, but the truth is they've never really believed that Jesus was dead and is alive. Like really believed that, that this man, Jesus, who was also God in the flesh, really died in history, like the same history we're in. And really is alive right now. That they believed it though. And because they really believed the gospel, they could endure tribulation for his sake because he died and he endured tribulation. I mean, that's one reason Paul was excited. He's like, we could suffer shame for his name. And he says later on, I don't know if it's Philippians or one of his prison epistles where he says that we are like bringing up the, the, the sufferings of Christ. Like he's making it complete by himself suffering. And, and so they could suffer. They could be poor because Jesus was poor. He was a homeless, a homeless man. Literally, he said, I have no place to lay my head. I'm only I'm at the whim of all the people who want to be generous to me. And so he was poor himself. He suffered more than we'll ever suffer. He endured tribulation definitely more than 10 days. And he was faithful unto death. And because they believe that he was dead and is alive, he says, hey, you too will live because I live you also shall live. And they believe this. And so here he's encouraging them, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of yeah. life. Friends, is that, does that mean anything to you? There's so many Christians, I don't know if it's just American Christians, who we don't care about the crown of life. What we care about is comfort now. Like it's like, well, God, you didn't make, give me a mansion now. Or, or it could even be something serious. Like you didn't give me health now. Or you didn't heal my family now. Or you didn't do this now. And God wants us to realize it's not just about now. Like, your life's not just about now. Uh, I'm thankful that you are alive right now. I'm thankful that you have an opportunity to experience God's goodness in this moment. But the truth is, our life isn't about now. He says, mm -hmm. I want you to be faithful in hard times, even unto death. And I'm going to give you something that will never fade away. I mean, that this, this crown of life never fades. It never goes away. And Christians don't think about this enough in America. In America, I don't know if it's the world. I can't speak for the world because I live in America. But I do believe Christians really don't care about the crown. And they spiritualize it away saying, well, I'm so spiritual. I don't care about the rewards. Stop it. You're not spiritual at all if you don't care about the rewards. You're carnal and you care about the mansions and you care about your name here. You care about stuff here. If you don't care about 
what Christ cares about. The reason we get a crown is not because we're awesome. We get it. It's, it's, it's Christ's evaluation of our lives. We should care about what Christ thinks about us. We should care about it more than about what our boss thinks about us, more than even what our spouse and our kids think about us. We should really care. What does Jesus think about my life? Will he be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? And so I think this is huge for us because persecution is not far away. It's not. Um, we were looking at, because we're doing some studies culturally for Revelation, we're looking at, in, what, seven years, they're wanting to roll out uh, mass digital IDs around the world. They want to enforce around the world in seven years. The entire world will, be, will have a digital ID. And I, I, we have a video that we can link to that you guys can watch this for yourself. But I'm just thinking, seven years? I thought we had longer. Uh, you know, like, it, I'm telling you, friends, tribulation isn't far away from us. And I'm not saying the great tribulation, although I don't think that's far from us. But tribulation, hard times, persecution isn't far away. Will we be faithful? Or will we just care about staying comfortable? And I think this is a key. And so uh, I love this. He that overcometh, again, linking back to that verse we talked about, shall not be hurt of the second death. Linking back up here, we have the yellow. You'll get a crown of life and you'll not be hurt in the second death because Jesus was dead. He suffered, but he is alive. Let me check our time. Oh, man, we are getting near the end. I don't know if we'll be able to jump into the third church because our time is running short. Although when we were talking about the third church yesterday, it, it's, it's just like, mm -hmm. Oh, it's so good. Um, I, I, I think we're going to have to save that uh, for, mm -hmm. for next time. Cause I don't want to try to cram it in five minutes and do you guys a disservice, but is there anything that you want to end us with after talking about these first two churches? Uh, I know it's super important to yeah. do the right thing with the right motives. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, uh, here with this church, we can suffer for our Savior suffered as well. Yeah. And it will. I think it's just all about your perspective, your point of view, your paradigm. Uh, we just need to have it shift. Yeah. Um, say, whatever happens to me in this life, it doesn't matter. Because I, I think if we just see the brevity of life of how it is, and I'm still young. Yeah. Uh, but every day that passes i realize this life is going so fast yeah and before i know it it's gonna i'm gonna take my last breath whether it's today or 10 years from now 50 years from now whatever and i'm gonna know i wish i would have done more because yeah. i mean now i'm living eternally with my creator and i don't have another opportunity to do what i could have done in this life right and so when we just have that paradigm shift man it, it it'll change how you yes, live sir. and it'll change of what you do um and how you choose to go about your day-to-day -day. and so i agree so teach us to number our days that we may yeah. apply our hearts unto wisdom i think that's huge let me bring up this right here the church will be gone by then uh, and so uh yes believers will be gone by, by this time. Uh, now, does that mean that churches will disappear off the face of the earth? Probably not, because the sad truth is there are a lot of churches full of unbelievers. Um, and, and I'm not saying that's, that's like a common thing, but I, I do believe that there's going to be unbelievers who are probably left who still want to continue on uh, trying to make a church work without the Holy Spirit and without, you know, being truly saved. Uh, but believers, true believers, We'll be gone before the great tribulation. We will not be gone before it gets tough. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, something that most believers don't want to hear, but I think it's true. Jesus says that it's going to get hard. And he says, these things are the beginning of sorrows, but the end is not yet. And so there's a period of time, which we would call the beginning of sorrows, where life is going to get hard for Christians, but the end is not yet. Before the tribulation, it will get dark. But then we will be gone before it gets into the seven years of tribulation, uh, which will try the entire world because God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation um, by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, um, yes, before the great tribulation, we'll be gone. But that doesn't mean before persecution ramps up in America and around the world that we'll be gone. Because the truth is there's persecution now in parts of the world where Christians have been beheaded just recently and, and murdered because they're Christians. And so we can't just think because we're Americans that we get to miss out on that, too. Um, because if we say, no, 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 hard times will never come until, you know, the great tribulation. Well, then how come there are people being murdered for their faith in other regions? It's just not consistent. 
And so I wish I could tell you, no, we'll never have to go through hardship. We're going to be okay. But I wouldn't be telling you the truth. And I think you would probably understand that yourself. But we will be gone before the great tribulation. And that's that's our blessed hope is before yeah. it gets really, really bad, we're gone. And I'm thankful that God loves us so much that he will rescue us before that happens. And so yeah. thank you for the question. It was a really, It's a really good question. It really is. And a lot of people have the same question. And so thank you for asking it. Um, but thank you also, everybody who's able to join us this morning. We covered a lot this morning, and I know it wasn't always easy to hear. I hope everyone knows that we, what we say, we say in love. We don't, we don't say hard things because we just love saying hard things. Um, yeah. The truth is, um, it's something I'm growing in right now, actually trying to say hard things, uh, because uh, it's easy to want to be liked, especially on like a YouTube or whatever else. It's easy to just want to say really, really fun things, really kind things that everybody agrees on. Well, the truth is we've got to say the truth in love. We've got to say the truth in love. And that means sometimes being like what Jesus does. He says the truth, even though it hurts. And even though it might cause ruffle some feathers, I guess you might say. And so realize if we ever say something you disagree with, you can ask us about it. We're not mad and we're not angry if you believe something different, but we got to, excuse me, we got to speak the truth in love. And so Thank you, everybody, for being on with us. Thank you, Jonah. This was fun. I enjoyed talking about this. I'm excited to talk yeah. about Pergamus and the other yeah. churches. Uh, so we talked about two. That leaves five left, right? So we've got five yeah. churches remaining in each of these churches. It's just delicious. Um, I know that the last one is probably one of the most common ones. The first and the last yeah. one are usually the most common ones people know about. But each one has a good lesson for us to learn. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so I think without further ado, Oh, let's look here. Uh, I'm starving for the hard truth. Love truthers. Oh, well, praise the Lord, Linda. I'm glad you're here. I really am. And so thank you for being with us. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we just pray you guys have a great day today. Stay faithful. Stay faithful, even when it gets tough, even when your family is going through a hard time. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. It's worth it. It really is. And so, again, thanks, Jonah. And we'll see you guys. Uh, Lord willing, maybe next week. Okay. Uh, but thank you guys for being with us and we'll see you guys soon.